Amen. As those baskets are making their way around, you can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now, if you're new here or, or new for the first time in a long time, you need to know that I have a secret ambition. And my secret ambition in my other life is to write a tell-all book called Confessions of a disney Ophile. Okay, that, that's my secret ambition. Now, for those of you who do know me, that does not come as a surprise to you at all. You're like, what else is new, Pastor Paul? Okay. Our family, if you don't know us, likes hanging with the mouse. And, and there was a number of years ago that we went through the hidden Mickey phase of our Disney journeys. Okay, so if you don't know what a hidden Mickey is, the mouse ears, Disney takes those and puts them anywhere they can possibly fit, right? They put them in movies, they put them in shows, every ride, every attraction, every exhibit, every bathroom stall, I kid you not, okay? There's a pair of, of ears, Mickey ears, somewhere. Now, some are quite obvious, so if you ever drive into the celebration there near Kissimmee, um, you'll notice that there's the power grid is in the shape of a giant set of mouse ears. It's really quite disconcerting. But nonetheless, okay, it's very obvious. There's others that are more, much more cool. You know, if you ride the living land, you see that they grow certain vegetables in the shape of mouse ears. And there's also the obscure, things that you have to buy books to tell you where they are, I hear. That's a rumor about people buying books, okay, and doing scavenger hunts to find them. But once you see them, you start to see them everywhere. They're sort of ubiquitous. They're pervasive. They're, they're, you, you can't miss them. And you know, from the earliest days of Christianity, we've had our own ubiquitous sign that's pervasive and that we have splattered everywhere. And of course, it's the cross. It's, it's the image, the symbol of our faith. In fact, it's endured for 2,000 years. Parents, you could, after you feed your kids a dozen donuts apiece afterwards, you can do a hidden cross search around the church, right? It's very obvious. There's, there, there's the cross here, thanks to Julie Alley. Well done. Some of you might be wearing a cross around your neck or around your, around your finger. You might have a cross, a sticker on your car. You might have made that fatal mistake. Big mistake, okay, right? Some of you might even be tatted up with a cross or two. I don't know. But Everybody understands that's the symbol of Christianity. In fact, when we, when we renovated this building eight years ago, when you walk outside, you'll notice there's a cross affixed to the, to the outside of the building by this, by this window. And the, the person who installed it, the company, before it was painted, they decided to use the cross for a little promo, and they, they spray-painted the name of their company on it. And so a lot of you were horrified. I actually thought it was quite ingenious. But anyway, now, the reason that the cross... As a symbol of Christianity, it makes perfect sense. I mean, this is not, this is not rocket science. is because we believe Jesus died on a cross. That Jesus was a sacrifice for sin on the cross. That the cross is the heart of the gospel message. Yet, there's another symbol, another part of this gospel message that doesn't get nearly the attention, that, that, we, that we don't think nearly as much about but which Paul is going to tell us this morning is equally as important. So let's look at Romans 8, verse 31. If you have a Bible, you can open it. We'll have the text on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one. 
They're located by the, the doorways on the way out today. It'd be a great gift that we would, would have for you. Listen to what Paul says in these, in these four verses. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. There you, there's the cross. Now, now, now listen to this. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there's another powerful symbol of our faith that's not distinct from the cross, it's not separate from the cross, it's linked. It's inseparable from the cross, but in fact, it is the empty tomb. And so Paul tells us here, you die for us, but more than that, you rose from the grave. So Lord, I pray that you would, this morning, give us a fresh glimpse of the power of the resurrection, not just as a truth to be affirmed, but in fact, Lord, a a truth to be embraced that transforms our hearts, that transforms our lives. Lord, we pray that you would do it. Only you can do it through the power of your spirit. We ask that you bless these minutes we have together in your name. Amen. Paul begins this passage with a pretty provocative question, particularly in our postmodern age, which says that there are as many truths as there are people. There are as many spiritualities as there are people. You just have to choose your own and make your own way. Paul actually drives a stake right into the middle of that, and he asks a provocative question, and here it is. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is God for you? Is he for you? Or, conversely, is he against you? Now, now try that one tomorrow morning at the water cooler, right? Or in your fantasy football league, or in your class at at FSU or TCC or Childs or Leon or wherever you go to school. Incredibly controversial thing to ask. I mean, it sounds offensive, does it not? I mean, it just sounds arrogant. Oh, it's God on your side. Who do you, who do you think you are? Yet, yet, when we motion dies down and the rhetoric is toned down and we think about this, it's actually a pretty good question. In fact, it might be the best question that anyone could ask themselves, is God for you? Now, now Paul thinks that's an incredibly profound question. That's why he's writing this letter to the Romans. And Paul's not playing around. He actually gives a very simple, straightforward answer to that question. And it's simply this, if you know Jesus, God knows you. If God knows you, you know Jesus. See, Paul says in here that God did not spare his own son. In other words, God did not withhold something good from us. So you're, you're going to get ready to serve Easter lunch here shortly, some of you, and, and, and you better not let the kids at that table first, right? 
because they will start stealing and hoarding all the good things, right? They want to keep it back for themselves. We know who you are, right? <laughs> they will withhold good from others. And, and, and this text is really getting at this idea that, no, no, God did not do that. He did not withhold his son from us. Instead, he offered him up as a sacrifice for sins. So that in him, Paul says, there'll be no condemnation. You can look here. He lists all these, all these benefits. There, no charge will be brought against us for our sins. We won't be, we won't be guilty any longer. Instead, God will, will love us, forgive us, receive us because of Jesus. Now, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say that for, for many of you here, and I, probably even most, you would say that you believe this, right? You, you would say, oh, yeah, Pastor Paul, I, I get that. E- even if you didn't, even if you just kind of grew up in church and haven't been to church in years, or you're just once a year, or you, whatever, you, you, you probably, I mean, that's, this is kind of meat and potato stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, Pastor Paul, I get it. Jesus died on a cross for my sins. Yes, I, I understand that. I affirm it. But even for those of you who've, who've, who've embraced that truth and, and wrapped your heart around it and wrapped your mind around it, there's probably times, maybe even this week, where you've been tempted to ask, God, are you really for me? Like when you were so sick with your chemo treatments that you can't come to Good Friday service. Like when you find out definitively that you can never, ever, ever have children of your own. When you discover, like when when a family member is diagnosed with an incurable disease and diagnosis that you and, and they know will result in a brutal death. When you've lost a loved one who you've been together with for decades. And by the way, all of those things, conversations in just the last week or two. See, you, you, you know Jesus died for you, or you say you know, yet you still ask the question, God, are you really for me? Now, Paul understands, I think, this struggle. And I believe what he wants to do in our few minutes together is just sort of expand our vision for what Jesus did for us. Not to separate what he did for us from his death. Not to separate what he did for us from the cross. But something else that we don't often think about, or, or at least if, if, if we do think about it, it doesn't get much functional traction in our lives. And it's what Paul says in verse 34. Look there. Christ Jesus is the one who died. And then here it is. More than that, who was raised. Now, more than that, that, that's an interesting phrase, okay? And we might say, well, well, Pastor Paul, what what is the Apostle Paul saying here? Is he saying the resurrection is more important than the death of Christ, than his death, than his sacrifice? Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. Let me give you an example. Last night, um, the Gilbert kids, we all went to, to Chipotle to celebrate the fact that mom is coming home today. You know, Susan's been out of town the last week, seems like about um, eight years, um, to, to caring for her very sick father up in Tennessee. And we decided we we're going to get together and celebrate at Chipotle and congratulate ourselves for not starving to death that week, okay? <laughs> so congratulate ourselves for not burning down the house, literally, right? 
And so we're just having a great time and, and, and we're celebrating. And what better way to, to, to wind this time up? And then someone suggested, and oh, bless the child who suggested this. He said, Dad, can we also go to Newberry, you think? And it's like, score. Yes, we're going to Newberry, okay? In other words, we went to Chipotle, but then on top of that, see, we got to go to Newberry. I think that's, that's what Paul's getting at here. Jesus died, and on top of that, he was raised. And here is how Paul relates Jesus' death and resurrection earlier in this book, Romans 4.25. He says this, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, now listen to this, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and died to sin, and then was raised for our justification. What is Paul getting at here? Guys, Jesus' death pays the penalty for your sin. But it's his resurrection that gives you life. It is his resurrection that gives you hope. It is his resurrection that proves that his death was what he said it was. You see, the gospel doesn't just get us back to ground zero from whatever hole you're in this morning. And some of you I know are in a hole, a physical hole, a spiritual hole, a mental hole, emotional hole. God doesn't simply send Jesus to die for you and say, okay, Paul, now you're back to ground zero, go for it. Give it another shot. Maybe you'll do better next time. No, no, no. It says he died for us, but more than that, he was, he was raised. And Paul says here, he, it tells us what this means, that Jesus is alive, which means he's at the throne of God this morning. If you know Jesus, do you know that he's praying for you? Do you know that he's working for you? That he's working to restore and make new all of the things that are wasting away in your life, your bodies, your relationships, your children. See, this is what Paul means, and John Calvin says it this way. Through his death, sin was wiped out and death extinguished. We got that, right? We, we, we do well on that. But through his resurrection, righteousness was restored and life raised up. I was counseling a couple um, recently who was going through extreme conflict, and I mean extreme. Both are self-professing Christians. Both would absolutely say, Jesus died for me. I know he forgives me. Yet, is he for me? Pastor Paul, I just have to admit that this, this marriage of ours, it seems hopeless. It seems hopeless. And you know what? From a human perspective, I would have to agree with them. It appears pretty hopeless. But there was a moment in that session that was of the Spirit. And you know there's those poignant moments when God's Spirit opens eyes and hearts, all of us in there. And I just happen to suggest to the couple, you know, you know that this conflict between the two of you, you know it's just momentary, Right? They're like, well, score, tell us more, pastor. <laughs> I said, it's momentary, it's temporary. It's not going to last. What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, you know, in heaven, the two of you will have unhindered,